are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. Hey, good morning. This is Meg Riley in sunny Minneapolis here for another episode of The View. So excited today to talk about babies and bailouts. But first, I'll have our regulars say hello. Michael Tino, how are you? Good morning, everyone. Michael Tino here in pouring rain, gray, dismal, Peekskill, New York. Um, but it doesn't matter since I'm not leaving the house. So um, let it rain. Uh Life, life is okay. It's day 712. And um, I've given up on looking nice for the view. I usually wear a nice shirt, at least you whatever. <laughs> I love you all. And this is what you get. So good morning, everyone. Asia Hauser, how is it out there in very, very early Pacific time zone? It is so early. I have my coffee. I'm Asia Hauser in Seattle. It's bright and sunny. I'm going to guess, Michael, that you do not have dogs because um, it, ha- it matters what the weather is here. I do not have a- dogs. I do not have cats. I have six-year-old who Yay, needs to be outside, you. but um, <laughs> I'll chase her around the kitchen a little bit and we'll be good. That's fun. Yeah, my dogs do that too. So that's a thing uh, for actually whatever it takes. Right. So it's sunny here, which has been great. And, um, it's very early and yeah, it does feel like uh, day 700 and whatever, and we're making it work. And it's, um, Hey, Asia, is anything new in your life? Oh, yes. Uh, yep. Last week I obtained, uh, I did the concurrent religious education credentialing tract, which means I, I worked on two portfolios. Yay. And I got master and credential level. So I am, I received the highest credential to be had in the Unitarian Universalist Association for religious educators. So it's kind of like that uh, Mel Brooks joke on world famous in Poland. It's like that. Like, I, I mean, it's awesome. And it's very specific, which is awesome. And I love being a UU religious educator. So yay. <laughs> so very, thank you, Meg. I'm very excited about that. I'm very proud. Um, Antonia. It is also uh, stormy here. Um, I'm in Wilmington, Delaware. And um, so I do have a dog and I'm just like trying to time the letting the dog out between uh, raindrops and making him stay on the inner porch long enough so he doesn't track through the house. (laughs) That's my life this morning, so far so good. And I am excited because um, Archeen and Sarah Green and Dana Edwards, what's Archeen's last name? Turner. Turner. I was thinking Taylor and I knew that was not right. Archeen Turner, Sarah Green and Dana Edwards Um, have put in a lot of work to launch a UU POC stories um, as a part of something that can go with religious education. So um, I'll put a tiny URL in the uh, links and we're looking for storytellers and people who are willing to write curriculum for those stories. And Mm -hmm. it is a paid opportunity. So please check that out. A little bit more, what kind of stories and for whom? Uh, stories for uh, children up to you know age. I think it's 
middle or high school, and it's people of color that are UUs. So not only uh, historical UUs, but UUs today, um, just to um, make the uh, curriculum more diverse and also to make sure that our stories are told before we die or, you know, sometimes they don't get told at all. Um, oh, and I'll own the view. I'll be right over in YouTube getting your uh, questions and comments and sending them over to our fabulous guest and um, host. And Blue Babies and Bailout, this is going to be a good show. All right, back to you, Meg. Yeah, so we're trying to think. We usually do a UU roundup. Um, we'll just shout out to Christina. Christina, feel better. We love you. We're take care of yourself. And, and I'll just say that that's kind of my general approach to life right now. Like, I just see people working too hard, uh, trying, just working too hard. Parents, religious educators, ministers, musicians, like we're in a pandemic, y'all. And, um, and I guess the other thing I would say is Rodney Lemery did a prayer at uh, CLF Worship last night, which was just mad about how inequitable this virus is and how it's not hitting everybody similarly and how there are communities that are just struggling so much more and just really his anger at God about it. Like, where are you now? It's a beautiful prayer. And I, um, Antonio, it's posted at the CLF site, but, but I also just want to lift up what I've been saying to people is we're not all having the same pandemic y'all. And, um, you know, it, there's just so much going on for so many communities, immigrants, black people, indigenous people, incarcerated people. I mean, they're, they're just, um, so I just hope instead of spending all our energy doing perfect online worship, we're really looking at the bigger picture right now and seeing how we can be of service because it's getting uglier every damn day and, and more obviously what's going on every day. So that's just kind of my plea to, to everybody working hard to, to make sure our work's aimed in a good direction, which is why I'm so excited that today we have babies and bailout with us, which is a great direction to focus our energy. And I'm going to turn it over to Asia. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Babies and Bailouts is an extraordinary program that I am going to actually have both Kiana Perkins and Paige Ingram talk about and introduce yourselves. And there was the uh, live webinar on past just this past Sunday that I attended that just, I mean, it feels like every single person of faith of whatever faith you belong to and every atheist and hum every human being, especially in the United States, needs to watch that and be tuned into the um, massive like cancer on our souls that is incarceration and the ripple effects of it. So um, Kiana, we'll start with you. If, you. if you and Paige can introduce yourselves and then we'll go into the program and um, the, the second year, I believe of, of this particular Babies and Bailouts. So Kiana. So my name is Kiana. My pronouns are she and her. I physically live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I have the pleasure of serving the First Unitarian Congregation of Ann Arbor, um, a lovingly called UUAA. And I serve them in the capacity as the social justice and pastoral care coordinator. Um, but I also have the pleasure of working with Blue Black Lives Unitarian Universalists, Universalism. Um, and uh, in that role, I serve on Team Sankofa, and I get to do a lot of the social action work that we do, social justice action work. 
Um, and I'll turn the floor over to Paige. Hey y'all, it's so good to be back. Like, wow, adults, like I'm looking at adults, like this is fun. Um, so my name is Paige Ingram. Um, I am a member, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a blue beloved. Um, I am a member of the Organizing Collective Board um, with Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. Um, and I'm, I'm in charge of the organizing. So um, yeah, and a happy, proud member of Team Sankofa and um, staying right here in very happily and beautifully sunny Minneapolis. Wow, can't wait to go outside. So <laughs> thank you for the invitation. So Kiana, let's start with um, briefly how this started and last year was the first year and this is the second year and what are the, what are the differences between the two years and how you're taking this advocacy far and wide. So maybe start with the seed. Yeah, so um, actually in 2018, um, Blue, after revival, which was literally two years ago. So we had a revival in Kansas City and I will share with you that um, it was one of the first times me and my children intentionally were in closed black space. Um, I worked with Blue to get a scholarship. I worked my own personal hustle to get plane tickets and I put us on a, the airplane to Kansas City. It was Spirit Airlines and my kids were like, okay, mom. Um, but it was an awakening for me on so many levels. Um, and when we left that space, Blue was like, hey, let's get some folks together and be more intentional about how we do social justice and how we create community in blue. So they got about 10 of us together and we attended the Allied Media Conference, uh, which is held in Detroit. Um, and part of that experience, so Allied Media's work is really around how do we use social media for social good? So that in itself is like a, and it's a, it was, it's a conference that's been going on for 20 years. So it's grown from like, you know, looking at zines to like, you know, Facebook and global media and all of those things. So it was pretty massive. Um, so in that, uh, before AMC, a young person in Detroit by the name of Sawatu had been incarcerated around defending her family. And her team, her support team was at AMC and they played this uh, phone call that her family, so let me, let me just set the tone. You hear about Sawatu who had this incident that involved a gun and her, you know, being a registered gun owner, um, her flashing the gun at somebody to protect her family. You can look up her story um, and her being incarcerated. But she went incarcerated. She went to jail when she was six or seven months pregnant. So Sawatu had the misfortune of not only being, I think, inappropriately incarcerated, but also to have to have her child while shackled. Um, if you don't know the experience of people who give birth while incarcerated, they are alone with a nurse and a doctor. They are shackled to uh, the bed. They are uh, given about 24 to 48 hours, depending on where you are to be with their child. And then they're returned um, to their facility. Some of them, their milk has come in. They're not allowed to express or deal with any of that. Um, there's, you know, codes of hygiene in prisons and jails, but if you've just had a baby, <laughs> maintaining that level of personal hygiene that's expected, 
sometimes gets folks put like in the hole. And I mean, there's all of these things, right? So, so what you have on stage at AMC is Sawatu's sister, her husband, her like three-year-old and a newborn. He's holding her newborn. And we're listening to this phone call of her in jail. And there's this definitive moment in the phone call where the recording comes in and says, you have one more minute. And the level of silence, the level of here, I've never heard everyone's heart stop at the same time in a room full of six or 700 people, but it happened. And as we were leaving that space, we all collectively, I said the words babies and bailouts, but it was a collective energy and a collective focus. Um, and my thought was, in a very sassy way, if people won't give money to bailouts, maybe they'll give it to babies. And we literally spent the next year cultivating a conversation, um, a facilitated panel and dialogue focused on decarceration of Black mamas. And we found some partners to do that with us, uh, particularly the national bailout. And so by last year, we had this babies and bailouts campaign. And, and I'll I'll stop in a moment, but I will say last year, you talked about things that are different. Last year, literally explaining to people over and over what a watch party was. All you do is go on Zoom. All you do is get in the room and be with other people. All you do is click the link and people being like, I don't get it. I remember telling people this. I was like, have you ever been to the Super Bowl? And they were like, no. I was like, what do you do? They're like, I go to someone's house and we watch it together. And I was like, that's what we're doing. And they were like, I don't get it. That, that was not the same this year. Folks got a watch party real quick this year. There was definitely an increase in viewership simply because people understood Zoom, right? So to say all of that is that this was our second year. Um, I'll let Paige speak to stats in terms of how many folks watched last year and how much money we were able to raise. Um, this year, we were able to cultivate this dynamic conversation that talked about the impact of families, but also talked about what in incarceration looks like in the time of COVID and what our work is around abolition to end the construct of, of prisons. Knowing that COVID exists, we cannot, we cannot shy away or hide from, we don't know what's happening. We can't say we don't see the disparity. We don't have the room anymore to be in denial. Like if you're even like holding like one eye closed and like blinking, you can see the level of uh, disparity that's happening for folks who are incarcerated as they're experiencing this uh, pandemic. And as Meg said, we're not all experiencing the same pandemic. Um, and so our conversation on Saturday was dynamic and beautiful and spiritual and educational. And I am absolutely proud to say that I'm a part of a group of folks who work on this level of liberation. I'm happy to tap in. Um... First of all, I just want to acknowledge that I'm supposed to be off this week. I got people calling me out um, via GroupMe and social media. So, you know, this isn't work. I'm hanging out and talking with my friends, okay? Um, I think, uh, yeah, so what, what, what feels real about last year was um, it was really important for us to, to we, we started this at GA, and we really continued on with, with trying to, to help people understand um, what does a bailout look like? And like, what is the point? Like, what's the point in this? 
Um, and that's really like what I wanted to do. I just, I wanted people to know what's going on. I wanted people to feel like they had some sort of personal stake. Um, getting Sawatu on a panel was like, I, like I was just so cool. I'm gonna just go for it. You know, I'm just, I, I, I know a friend of a, you know, I, I really just wanted, I wanted that to happen because I wanted folks to experience a fraction of what we were able to experience in that auditorium that night. Um, and it transformed last year in like very organically into a conversation about abolition. And I was just like, okay, how are people gonna take this? Like, like you know, it's, it's, it's a stressful, it, it can be stressful for people um, to take a stand in such an explicit way, right? Um, I think that sometimes we find ourselves trying to hide and escape in, in, in nuance. Um, and so it was very, um, it was very interesting to have serious movement people who were in the very room when the idea of doing a national bailout for black moms was, was even developed to be able to sit in also very churchy um, movement people to be able to have that conversation. Um, and then to have Sawatu, a Muslim woman of faith, also be like speaking about, about her experiences. And there was a reception around abolition that I, I admittedly did not quite think was possible for our folks. So that's just a, that, so that was a humbling um, revelation to me. And so really um, for like this year, it was important to continue engaging in this in a more rigorous way um, because we are in a, we're in an election year. So every, you know, everything's more politicized. Um, and we're in this we're in this this context in which we're all navel gazing, and to a certain degree, it's incredibly understandable. But how do we get people to to just begin to look up um, and look around? Uh, and you know, I think weeks and weeks and weeks into uh, social distancing, it was certainly a lot easier um, to 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 invite people gradually back into, um, into the work. And um, I knew who I wanted to talk. Uh, <laughs> Sam Masters is, is an amazing person and a friend of mine. Um, and, I, and I heard her speak by chance at the Proctor Conference. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh honey, yeah, I, I need you. Um, Ashley uh, Woodard Henderson is a great dear friend of mine and somebody who I have in this like league of people in the movement who are like super faith people, but but I found myself like not really sure like where to find those other folks um, in those spaces. And so like like those are the people who I was seeking out. Um, and Aaron Miles Cloud, we went, uh, some members of Team Sankofa went to the national bailout convening because they're, they're so serious about equipping folks to do these bailouts that they have convenings before and a debrief after. Um, and so on this pre-convening, um, we, we were able to hear um, from her colleague who was a part of, of, of this movement to, to, to shine a light on the ways in which the state um, just severs um, family structures 
Um, and so it was, it, it, it was something that I just put a lot of trust in. Um, I put a lot of trust that folks were gonna show up and they did. I think I would like for both of you, to, one of the, it, it was a phenomenal, I mean, it's so inspiring and deep and, and heartbreaking. Um, and one of the, um, one of the things, and I don't remember who spoke, I don't know if it was Ashley who spoke to who's director of the Highlander Center. Yeah. Um, that, because one of my questions, even last year that I didn't really kind of articulate, but it was uh, spoken to this past Sunday is, is the bailout, the idea of bailing out um, folks feeding, perpetuating the system and who was, and someone spoke to that really clearly and, and basically said, actually it doesn't. And, and the way uh, the organizers of this um, are, the, the strategy behind it and, and getting folks out on bail is, is and I don't remember exactly, I should have written it down. I, I'm gonna watch it again to, so that way I have it implanted in my brain, but um, it was clear that it doesn't do that. And in fact, it's, it's a way, it's a strategy to break the back of the, of the bailout system. So can either of you speak to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. I mean, I think, I think that um, something that can be easily misunderstood is that um, is that the the bailout is like the thing that we're trying to do, and like we do it and it's successful, and we're just going to continue, continue, continue to do that. Um, and so, as you get deeper into the work, as you get to develop relationships with the folks who are organizing these, um, and really have a chance to um, to you know, get, get into the nuts and bolts, you you begin to realize the difference between a tactic and like an overall strategy. And so the strategy has always been and will remain um, abolition and, um, and dismantling the prison industrial complex. Um, and in the meantime, because, you know, if, that, if, if, if that's Z and you think about the state of things, right, we're, we're, we're in the earlier, area of the alphabet. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's an argument for, for harm reduction and there's an argument for addressing the, the direct needs of people in this moment while simultaneously working towards a greater vision. Um, and, that, and, and, and that is where bailouts are fitting within this context. Um, and, you know, uh, behind the scenes, absolutely, we, we, we have conversations about how this is like playing into the system. Um, and we've had conversations about how, in fact, um, bailouts and, uh, you know, our initial call to, to get rid of the cash bail system has actually like shifted things where, uh, you know, now we have politicians talking about ending money bail. We have states and cities who have ended money bail. And that is something that um, on the surface we should be very happy about. On the other hand, what happens is that there are other ways in which they are putting people in cages in their own homes by um, through e-carceration. Um, in, many, in many instances, um, people are responsible for paying for the very technology that is used um, to, uh, to monitor their movements. Um, and so it calls into question our understanding of freedom and it also allows us 
it's, it's forcing us to really think about the nuances of what is happening and what success looks like. Um, and how can we continue to push the envelope and push people to understand these, these broader issues? And Z is stop criminalizing the poor and black people and brown bodies. I mean, that is also, because that's all connected and that's what it's about. Sorry, Kiana, go ahead. No, no, I'm in, in agreement with you in agreement with Paige. I think that this is a, it was not a system that was created with one movement, right? It wasn't just like, here's shadow, shadow slavery, we'll just change one part of it. No, 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 no. It is a layered, complex system with many fronts, many wars, many battles. Um, so it's not just uh, bailing someone out. It's what keeps them out, what keeps their kids out of the system, what laws are in place that take your kids away before you're even out of jail, before you're even able to defend that relationship. So some people's work will be bailing people out. That is real, it needs to happen. But there are some folks who are going to need to be looking at legislation, looking at laws, looking at decriminalization of activities, looking at who's currently incarcerated, looking at um, all these different systems and layers of ways. So I feel like there's work for everybody to do. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there is some work that you can do to start to dismantle this system. Um, I know in the time of COVID, lots of folks are doing puzzles and other mind things. And I would say to you, this is a puzzle. Each time we're taking a piece out, we're taking out ending cash bail. All right, that piece is gone. All right, we have states that have legalized the use of medical marijuana or even marijuana in general. So now what's the puzzle piece that takes people out of prisons and um, the system that re that's related to marijuana? We have folks who are being criminalized for not paying their light bill. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? Things like that. So just as much as we look at pictures or puzzles to put things in place to see the picture, we see the picture. It's bleak. Black and brown bodies are being incarcerated at an astronomical rate, and it's hurting us as a community, as a culture, as a civilization, and that needs to end. So now we got to take the puzzle apart, piece by piece. Um, I just think it's critical. You brought but I think, up. Meg, do you have a question? You brought up COVID, and of course, this started before COVID, and we'll still, you know, all these pieces will continue. But I wondered if you could talk about the impact of COVID, COVID on the prisons and jails and the, the communities that you're talking to. Uh, certainly, <laughs> I mean, I can say from CLF, it's it's terrifying, and it's um, it, it's put everything on steroids. That was already true. Um, I'm happy to I'm happy to take that. Um, so, a few things. I think that that COVID has illuminated um, what kind of possibilities are out there um, for us. Um, and so, suddenly, things that were told to us many many times were impossible are certainly possible, like stimulus checks, like uh, finding housing for people who are housing insecure and like uh, releasing people from jail. Um, and so all over the country, there are all different sorts of campaigns. Um, if, if you follow the hashtag free them all, that's a great way to, um, to find out more, but people are actively campaigning around, um, 
around freeing people from jail who literally should not be in jail, period, right? Um, and prisons. Uh, we can talk specifically about um, people who are immunocompromised, um, elderly folks. There's a whole there's a whole movement around um, around freeing elderly people who have like the lowest rate of recidivism. Um, and I don't want to get into like qualifying like who who deserves to be free or not. Um, but that is something like that that is part of the language that's being used to appeal to the masses and to and to appeal to politicians. Um, the problem lies in a few things. Uh, in the meantime, um, and, and every every like set of cages is different. Um, but you have stories about, uh, for example, nothing really shifting in the, in the prisons. Um, folks not even having access to soap. Um, a, a, a single bottle of hand sanitizer that's supposed to be used um, by not the inmates, um, but but the guards who are um, who are taking them. Obviously, you have people that are continuing to go to jail, so they're coming from the outside and coming into the jail. And so, imagine an experience in which every time that somebody new is coming in, you're like, "Yo, like, am I going to die?" Um, this is a very real thing, um, and you are and I. I shouldn't say you already know, but if you don't know about like the unsanitary conditions that are in jails and prisons all over this uh, this United States, um, which includes things like um, you know the like the water that you have access to to clean yourself is the same is like your toilet water. Um, as a as a woman um, in certain jail settings and prison settings. You don't even have access to enough sanitary supplies when you're menstruating, and you have to use the same towel um, for your menstruation that you're used that you have to use to dry yourself off after um, showering and cleaning yourself. Um, and so we're already talking about um, we're already talking about an environment that is profoundly um, unsafe and unsanitary as a whole, um, and. Uh, you're talking about a constant rotation of people coming from the outside in, inside out. Uh, and so it's a Petri dish. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very scary and frightening experience for people who, who are in there literally waiting. Um, you have jails and prisons where they have promised that people that have certain conditions are going to be released. And these inmates, and these people, not inmates, these people who are imprisoned are waiting for um, to, to be let out because they have been promised to be let out. Um, and we're now, I mean, uh, there are people who have been sheltering in place now for two months um, and they are still waiting to be released because they are at, at highest risk. Um, and so, so this, so this, this is what it's like. Um, I mean, it's 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 hard to imagine just kind of like sitting and waiting to see what's going to happen to you. And I can only imagine the increased paranoia um, that 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 happens, like the, the the psychological impact. Forget about the physical, but the psychological impact of this constant worry and anxiety. Um, that we're that that we are all having and sharing space, and how heightened that is. 
Um, and so that's what's going on. And there, there are organizers all over the world who are um, in all, and especially all over in, in, in our particular setting who are really working, working actively in finding the most creative dope ways to get this information out there and to push their elected officials to, um, to get these folks out. Uh, we have a comment from Jackie Anderson. Uh, Ecarceration, it's important to remember that people are getting trapped into violations in quotes of their e-carceration requirements while they have never been convicted at all. Again, it's another way to criminalize poor people. That's, that's all. That, we, we have to stop pretending this is anything other than that at all. I mean, especially, yeah. Um, Michael? Well, and if, I mean, the whole system of bail to begin with, money bail, and and keeping track of people who have not been convicted of, of anything um, and keeping them imprisoned um, is is about criminalizing poor people, right? Because if these folks had the money to get themselves out, they'd have paid that already. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of folks being held on pretrial detention. So they literally have not been convicted of any crime. They, their crime is their inability to pay an arbitrary amount, a match for the violation that happened. Um, and that's the scariest part that we think there's a system. Is Kiana freezing for anyone else? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not a fair system. It's, and it sounds unconstitutional, but good luck getting, anyway, the current. Well, and that's why I appreciate the multi-level approach, right? That, um, you know, you're, you're talking about prison abolition, but we're also, you know, we're talking about getting the people out that we can get out right now because jails and prisons are death traps. At the, and before COVID, they were horrible, horrible, horrible places. Mm -hmm. And in the era of COVID, they're, they're death traps. And, you know, I look at the map, you know, if you look at like the New York Times has a map of every county in the United States and the rate at which infect COVID infections are going up. And you can tell where prisons are looking at a map of the United States because they're all the dark red counties. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's Marion County, Ohio. There's a prison there. Oh, what's that? That's Lincoln County, Arkansas. There's a prison there. Like, you can just look at all these rural counties and the ones that are dark red have prisons in them. And it's, I cannot imagine what it would be like to have beloved people in those prisons or to be someone in one of those prisons. And I, I know... We have CLF members in those prisons, so we have beloved people who we know in there, but um, we don't need to know them. They're, they're our beloved. Absolutely. And I also want to say before we shift, um, Aisha, that it's, it's, it is absolutely something that's criminalizing poor people. And I also don't, don't want to lose um, the racial aspect of all of this as well, not just for Black folks, but for Brown folks. For indigenous people um, who are incarcerated at, at rates that absolutely are unjustifiable and don't make any sense. Um, and this has to do so much about, um, you know, like different types of codes and laws that have been put in place um, to specifically target and, and criminalize um, the actions of certain people um, that is highly, highly, highly racialized. So I just want to lift that up as well. 
And I, um, I, uh, I apologize. My internet has been fine. And then um, I get on the view and it's all wompy. So that happens. Um, I can't remember what I was about to say, but I think my thoughts are really around um, what work can folks do on a local level? So Michael, you were talking about, you can look at a map and see those clusters. Um, and the reality is that we have work we can do on a national level, like giving a national bailout and helping mamas all around the country get free. And there's work that we can do on a national, I mean, on a local level. Um, we've worked with NBO to create a list of locally based bailouts that need help and support. Um, and that's a document that we can share. Um, what you will find on that document is some of the locally based uh, bailouts, the folks who you can contact, um, the amounts that they're, they're looking at using, and also some of the other resources they need. So sometimes even, so for example, even if your community can't get together, right? Maybe you all can do a diaper drive. Maybe you say for the next week, we're gonna do a diaper drive and we're gonna work with the local bailout, which might be, let's say it's the DMV bailout. I'm just using that for an example because Samantha was with us on Sunday. Those That community needs diapers, they need formula, they need milk, they need toddler clothes, whatever it is, your community can say for the next week, we're gonna gather those in a big bin that is sitting outside of the church, drop them off when you get a chance, remember to be socially distancing. Um, or you can say, we're going to adopt a bailout. Whatever this bailout in Lexington, Kentucky needs, we're gonna adopt that and support them, not just until Mother's Day, but for the next year. So there's a way that your faith community, your book group, your women's group, your uh, GLBT bowling league can get together and rally around this community that needs help in a way that's sustainable and long-term. If the resource you have is money, put money on the table. We'll always take that money. But if there's another way that you can engage and maintain a relationship and build a community, that is also juicy, juicy, really humble work. And it's worth doing as well. Um, if that's a list that you're looking for, a resource that you need, we can definitely share it with you via our mailing list. Um, I guess I want folks to expand beyond the money piece and think about all the resources you have that make your life sustainable, that make you be able to not be in jail, right? Um, because that's important. All the things that help you stay unincarcerated are the same things any community, any mama, any caregiver need, and they are worthy of. Um, we talk a lot about jails and prisons, but I don't want us to forget detainment centers uh, or detainment um Detention centers. Detention centers, thank you. Because those folks are also being held and criminalized in a way their conditions aren't considered, how they live isn't being thought about. And so we have to think about all three of those communities, how they're intentionally already isolated, but that COVID and other medical things push them that much further away from resources that get them better. Well, but, detention um, centers, they're only, they're. <laughs> Talk about criminalizing black and brown bodies. Um, they're immigrants. They're people that simply are seeking a better life. And I also read that I want to say was it Guatemala said reported that seventy five percent of the folks who were sent back from detention camps had COVID were COVID positive um, from the United States. So very bad. Yeah. I, I want to add that there are things that um, our congregations can do 
in religious education around this too and with our with our children um because i i take very seriously the fact that we are also bringing up children to understand their place in this world and their power in this world to uh fight oppression um and so i i want to give a shout out to darlene anderson alexander who's the religious educator i am privileged to work with who um began working with our children uh, because our congregation, the congregation I serve is two miles away from Bedford Hills Women's Correctional Facility, which is New York's uh, women's correctional facility. And they have a program where they actually help keep women with their babies in an in-prison nursery, um, which I'd rather the women were not in prison. Hmm. And <laughs> uh, given that like while we work to solve that, I, I want them to be with their babies. Uh, and Darlene developed a whole module to teach our children about incarceration and um, and the systems that, that separate families. Um, and, you know, this was just, we think it's important to teach our children about what's going on right up the road. And it was actually like the last things we did before we could no longer meet in person, but any congregation is going to be somewhere near a facility that they could partner with. We here in Ann Arbor, we have here on Valley Prison, um, we're one of the few communities that can still go to the prison, like there's all these rules, um, but we still do book delivery for actually pretty much the whole state of Michigan. We take them the books to the depository and they get spread out, um, but we also have a group of folks at UUAA, my brick and mortar church here in Ann Arbor, um, a group of folks who are still going to hear on Valley Women's Prison. So that has been significant. And we also have a, a literacy program that does reading books with kids, trying to make sure we have books in the lobby of uh, jails, prisons and other places. So folks, there's kids appropriate books um, in waiting rooms. Um, I wanted to speak a little bit about reaching out to youth and families. So uh, starting the week of May 4th, Blue, Black Lives and Unitarian Universalism is having a week of education and action. Um, get on our mailing list if you want all of the details. Make sure you're on all of our platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, uh, and Twitter. But in that week of action, one of the things that we are doing is working with our youth. Um, we have youth programming called Blueberries, Blueberry Jam. And we are having that conversation. We're going to get and read some books. We're going to talk about what it means to be away from your family and people who care about you and love you. Um, and we're going to ask um, our youth to write a letter to maybe a kid who's experiencing the sadness of losing a caregiver or write a card to a mama who just got home. Um, so that's some of the work that we're trying to do around not just nurturing, not just having the conversation, but nurturing the feelings of some of our, the youngest among us who might be being impacted differently around incarceration, who might actually have a parent who's incarcerated, who might have a caregiver who's incarcerated. So um, we are critically thinking about how do we have those conversations and how do we love on those folks who are directly experiencing um, family, uh, family differently because of incarceration. Paige, do you want to speak a little bit about the week of action? I know I'm covering a couple parts, but um, we have a lot of good stuff planned uh, via Team Sankofa, which I just have to shout out to all the time. Um, it's an amazing group of folks who work 
really, really hard behind the scenes to make sure that social justice, liberation, and faith are forefront in how we move in blue, how we move in the world, how we move in our spirit and our faith. So just big up Team Sankofa. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it brief. And um, yeah, like Kiana said, just find us. Um, we're definitely going to be putting a whole lot of info in our uh, via our mailing list. Um, but yeah, we, we really thought it was important. Um, you know, I think that especially in this time where there's like so many webinars, so many Zoom meetings, um, that it's easy to kind of like experience something and be like, wow, that was amazing. And then just like shift and move on to something else. Um, and so we thought it was important to, to give people uh, a platform by which they can um, just like continue to like really engage in the work, continue to do, to do some self-education, um, we're working with um, friends, friends in, in the MBO, friends with um, with uh, Free Black Mamas DMV, and some other folks um, to provide some opportunities to dig in, um, regardless of like where you're starting from. Even if you, you know, even if you have been in this in this scene for a minute, uh, the abolitionist scene I'm I'm speaking about. Um, there's nothing like coming to a 101 training. Or, um, or a talk or a workshop and hearing about like the ways in which people are thinking about this because it's, it's, it's shifting over time. And it's particularly shifting in this, in this moment where like nothing actually seems still and everyone's questioning everything. <laughs> so, um, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, and, and we would love for you to participate and to share and also to share, to share the panel because what's real is that it's for like, especially for me, I really think that this is work that um, that should be going beyond our, our UU shores. And so it's really important when, when, when there's opportunity to do something that is faith and spirituality specific, but not necessarily UU specific, that we reach out to our other comrades um, and encourage and, um, and incite them to, to continue to do this work and to push their, uh, their communities forward as well. I was gonna say, I worked at a Delaware Center for Justice who um, does a lot of work in um, this same type of field. And one program that I found especially um, touching and something that um, made somewhat of a change for women who were incarcerated at the De uh, Baylor uh, Corrections Institute is that they have a book reading program. They're able to bring books and, and tapes into the Correctional Institute and have mamas read books for their children so that they can read them bedtime stories at night. And um, every time I think about it, it's really sad. And also I think it's a good opportunity for children. Some children play the tapes until the tapes don't work anymore. So that idea that Kiana had of really thinking creatively and, and not um, discounting anything. So we have a lot that we can bring to this. If you don't have money, or maybe you don't have a lot of time, or you don't think that you can do something, everybody has something they can do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those of us who do have money, who are going to get some money from the government. Uh, so there's national bailout, there's local stuff. How do you prioritize and where do you, you know, what, what would you, what would you suggest for people who already 
have our rent paid, we're not in dire straits, we could actually let go of something. Yeah, so um, I think that there isn't necessarily a wrong answer. Um, mm. You find that there is a that there's a bailout that is, you know, maybe not in your city, but in your state or in your region, and you want to like hit them up directly and be like, because I think the thing is like whether it's I mean financial donations, yeah, but there's also in kind donations. But in order to do that, you can't assess what people need. Um, maybe they don't need a diaper drive. Maybe they need something else, and so. Um, it's, it's remarkably easy to find ways to contact people in 2020. Um, people find, people somehow find me all the time. So I can only imagine. So finding <laughs> a bailout, finding something, just going and doing a Google search and seeing what's up and contacting them and being like, Hey, definitely want to give you money. And I, and, I, and I'm going to, you know, talk to my family or like talk to my neighbors and like, you, or my congregation and start, start a little something. You'd be surprised. Like, yes, we're in a, yes, we're in a moment where we feel like there's a deficit, but also, you know, people are very surprising. Um, and so that's one way. Um, another, and obviously like, like there's that list of bailouts and we'll have contact info. As also, if you, if you donate to NBO, like they, they, they are, ones that are also granting funds and trickling the trickling funds to folks um who who have asked for and they have you know an extreme amount of detail about what what are the uh, the strategies that that these bailouts are employing and um and also like what their needs are um and you know i think this is highly relational and there's other ways to continue to engage besides the bailouts um if you've ever heard of court watching, it's an amazing thing. Man, you just get up and you, you again, surprising. You just go into a court and you can just sit and watch. And um, there were stories out of New Orleans who has an amazing bail watch program. And they literally saw shifts in the way that the judges were conducting themselves when they realized that there were people that were literally there just to see what they're doing. This is also a great way to actually see who is going in the jails. Um, there is a participatory defense where you work in a company, right? We're going to talk about faith. You accompany somebody through the process of um, of, of going through a trial, and there is an there is an incredible role that faith communities can play in that. Because let me tell you, when you when you're able to like um, to 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 support somebody as a church, um, particularly as as a member of clergy or or an entire church community, that makes a huge difference. Um, and flanking people and supporting people through that process is tremendous because it is a very traumatizing and strenuous process indeed. Um, and also the bailouts, as we said in the panel, they don't end on Mother's Day or whatever. This is a continuous thing. There's aftercare that's needed. Um, making sure that like folks have have a place to stay. Like, what would it look like to say, you know, I have this, I have this thing that I Airbnb, but ain't nobody using Airbnb. So maybe I can offer this as a as a housing solution. Or what would it look like to, you know, to to chip in and like 
purchase, like there's so many things that like folks can do the moment that we lean into our power. Um, and so there's a lot to offer, but yes, in terms of money, donate to a local bail fund or donate to a bailout, donate to MBO, whatever you do, we just want you to do it. Uh, I wanted to also mention as we come to the close about, uh, so we have the week of action. So get on our mailing list. Uh, we've created a 2019 facilitation guide for babies and bailout. So it's a tremendous opportunity. If you wanted to do like a one or even a two part uh, Zoom conversation with your faith community. So you all can start to unpack bail. Um, we have, there's a blue has a tool guide, uh, a toolkit. Um, Paige, you'll have to remind me of the title of it. I can see the picture in my mind, but the word isn't coming. It's an end money bail community workbook. Um, and NBO also has a toolkit uh, around bail on their website. So one of the things you can do is just engage your community in education. I know that going to one more Zoom feels hard, but at the same time, if the Zoom gets us closer to freeing mamas from cages, it's not that hard. Um, <laughs> it, uh, so there's definitely toolkits, education. There's things that you can rally your community around um, that I think are tremendous and accessible and doable. And I'm willing to help folks find ways to do that that feels um, less threatening or feels less overwhelming. Um, all of the work is about getting people free. So if the work that you're doing is connected to being in community, being in relationship and getting people free, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here to Deanna, support you, you and here to we, back you up. You're talking about Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. I just want to make sure folks, when you say contact um, us, we, are you talking about national bailout, NBO or blue or both? Both. Um, I think something Paige says is important that if you want to find some way to help somebody, that's not hard. That's who we got Google, we got us. Um, and I guess I use the we vernacular because I know I do not do this alone. Um, I am not creating, so I Kiana independently and not creating, so creating salvation. I am collectively working with whomever will be at the table, um, who's willing to be at the table in an earnest way, in a genuine way to get people free. So we're all we. We all have work to do. I want to make sure that we, as Unitarian Universalists, take a look at our safer congregation policies and make sure that we're not living into our white supremacist values and um, and looking at places that after people are out of prison systems, that they have congregations that they should go, that can, they can and will be welcomed at, not tolerated at, but welcomed at. Well, that's a word, um, yes. But let's, let's start to look, cause that, that's part of the, I love, thank you Paige for the A to Z, right? That's also one of maybe the middle letters um, that Unitarian Universalism can live into and it does take it. So one of the things we didn't hit on and maybe that we could do a whole show on this is transformative justice. And that is what I have learned, um, not as opposed to, but different than restorative justice. And what I'm learning about transformative justice is creating entire uh, community supports so that police and incarceration aren't even options. It's like, well, what does happen when there is a domestic violence dispute? How does the community come together to protect the person impacted? and um, in some ways uh, support the perpetrator and yet and have accountability. So I wanted to just plant that seed because I think that's also part of the alphabet of getting to Z is creating transformative justice 
systems. Is there anything either of you want to say before we end? And this was just another, I honor you all. This was a, just an impactful, beautiful um, ministry that you have. And I adore you. Oh, I adore you too. Um, yeah, I just want to say one thing, which I feel like it's really important for, um, for Unitarian Universalists, which is, and just everybody, it's, it's everybody, but I'm speaking to you. Um, please do not get caught up in the loop of discussion. Um, it's really important, like, uh, action means so much and you can have action and have conversation simultaneously. And I think it's really easy, especially when you feel, um, unqualified or unable to do the work to get caught up in this whirlwind of like, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm just going to process this. I'm just going to self-reflect until I feel like I'm ready. And what happens is with so many things in life, if we wait until we feel like we're ready, like we could just like never actually get there. Um, and so this is just a moment to lean into courage. That's not to say to just like jump into anything willy nilly, but if you'd be surprised what you can do in a few hours of just dedicated time of, of, of reading and, and, and writing. Um, and so I just, I just want to encourage us, um, to prioritize that, um, uh, that we, it, our, our, our faith is a state of being and being is, is an embodied thing um, as well. And so it's important to work up here, but it's also important to incorporate um, all of us, all of ourselves, um, our bodies, whether it's our individual bodies or the collective bodies of communities that we belong to, to do this work. Kiana, anything? I don't want to preach after Paige. <laughs> it has been a really inspiring hour. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, we can all take steps or we can all take movement, let's just say. So um, next week we'll have the Commission for Institutional Change in there every other week uh, attendance. And we're excited to hear what they'll be sharing. Meanwhile, everyone, stay awake. Thank y'all. Thank you. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.